tension. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hey, good morning, y'all. Welcome to The Valley Labor Report. My name is Adam Keller, and this is Shop Talk, our Thursday morning episode. We're producing every week with a focus on labor education, history, and training. It's Thursday, October 5th, and we're broadcasting live from Spice Radio Studio in the heart of the Tennessee Valley in Huntsville, Alabama. Every episode is live streamed on YouTube and Facebook and is released on your favorite podcasting platform in the coming days. Today on the show, it's the first Thursday of the month, so we're going to do October Labor History. But before we get into that, I do want to take a moment to thank our very first sponsor for Shop Talk. At the Valley Labor Report, we are big fans of Labor Notes. Labor Notes is a media and organizing project that since 1979 has been the voice of union activists who want to put the movement back in the labor movement. Through their magazine, website, books, conferences, and workshops, Labor Notes promotes organizing, aggressive strategies to fight concessions, alliances with worker centers, and unions that are run by their members. Labor Notes is also a network of rank-and-file members, local union leaders, and labor activists who know the labor movement is worth fighting for. They encourage connections between workers in different unions, worker centers, communities, industries, and countries to strengthen the movement from the bottom up. With 40 years of movement building behind them, Labor Notes exists as a resource for leaders and union members who want to chart a new course for the labor movement. At the Valley Labor Report, we are proud subscribers and supporters, and we definitely encourage our listeners to do the same. Go to labornotes.org to find out more. So uh, every month we do a This Month in Labor History episode for Shop Talk, typically the first week of the month. Uh, I do apologize for the late start this morning. We had some technical issues this morning uh, to sort out. Thankfully, Ben from Spice Radio was here to get it fixed up for me. Um, Also, you know, want to just another quick programming note. I was out last Saturday uh, and Jacob had to do the show solo. Uh, So props to Jacob for doing that, handling it all by himself. Uh, I will also be out this weekend as well. So I've got another meeting out of town. Um, Thankfully, Ben will be in the studio to help out with Jacob. And I do have an interview that I pre-taped to play on the show, so uh, hopefully y'all will enjoy that. Uh, But just wanted to give a quick programming note there. And I really appreciate everyone who tunes in to Shop Talk, everyone who tunes in to the Valley Labor Report. Your support means a lot. So it's time to share some of the October anniversaries in labor history and the long fight for justice. And I used a few different sources for this information. I used to use Planning to Change the World, a plan book for social justice educators uh, put out by the Education for Liberation Network. 
but unfortunately, they did not put out one this year, uh, which I think is a total bummer. So if anyone has any contacts at the Education for Liberation Network, let them know that uh, if nobody else is bummed about it, I certainly am. So in the meantime, uh, other resources that I've been using for this information would be the Zen Education Project. Uh, it's a great resource, especially for educators and parents. There are lesson plans and you know, curriculum resources on, on the website, but they also have a great This Day in History page. Uh, and so you can look and find any particular day and find some really interesting events that happen on that day. Uh, they have hashtag TDIH, This Day in History post on social media. And also want to shout out the Labor Tribune of St. Louis and Southern Illinois at labortribune.com. Uh, certainly a helpful source. And also the Working Class History Archives as well. So I'm not going to pretend this is an exhaustive list of Working Class History anniversaries in October, but we'll mention quite a few important and interesting events in the history of the South, our labor movement, and our class, including, unfortunately, some working class martyrs, as well as milestones in the civil rights struggle. And while I'm obviously particularly interested in Alabama and our neighbors, I'll mention some interesting events from outside the South as well. So let's get started. October 1st is the first day of Disability Employment Awareness Month which aims to raise awareness about disability employment issues and celebrate the contributions of workers with disabilities. And of course, here's your friendly reminder that the best way to protect and exercise your rights in the workplace as a worker, with or without disabilities, is with a strong union. So October 1st, 1931, the George Washington Bridge finally opened, uh, spanning the Hudson River from New Jersey to New York, 13 workers died during the four-year construction project for what, at the time, was the longest main span in the world. On October 1, 1964, the free speech movement was launched at UC Berkeley when mathematics grad student Jack Weinberg was arrested for setting up a core information table in front of Sproul Hall, the administration building. Of course, core was Congress of Racial Equality. Hundreds of students surrounded the police car holding Weinberg for 32 hours, making speeches from atop the car and ultimately negotiating Weinberg's release. The chancellor had been under pressure from the Board of Regents to ban expression of views considered communist. The students, inspired by the Southern Freedom Movement, questioned the restrictions. Wrapping up October 1st, on 1975, uh, in 1975, some 200 pressmen began what was to become a two-year strike at the Washington Post. And in 1994, the National Hockey League team owners began a lockout of the players that lasted 103 days. On October 2nd, 1934, the American Federation of Labor officially endorses the campaign for a six-hour day, five-day work week. And I found that to be very, very interesting and relevant, uh, particularly as the UAW is fighting for a shorter work week in their contract battle as we speak. Um, I think it's worth reflecting that we came pretty close to a shorter work week back in the 30s during the New Deal era. And as I said, October 2nd, 1934, all the way back in 1934, the AFL 
officially endorsed a six-hour day, a 30-hour work week. Uh, I am all about that. 1949, on October 2nd, uh, joining with 400,000 coal miners already on strike, 500,000 CIO steel workers closed down the nation's foundries and steel and iron mills, demanding pensions and better wages and working conditions. October 2nd, 19, or 2007, Starbucks Workers Union Baristas at an outlet in East Grand Rapids, Michigan, organized by the Wobblies, IWW, win their grievances against the national after the National Labor Relations Board cited the company for labor law violations, including threats against union activists. So for those who were really paying attention, that should have been the, the you know, warning sign back in 2007 of exactly the kind of conduct that Starbucks was going to unleash against a union drive. Finally, October 2nd is the 55th anniversary of a brutal massacre in Mexico City. In 1968, students throughout the world challenged their government's policies and practices. Students organized demonstrations in Egypt, Italy, Yugoslavia, the United States, Uruguay, and France. Mexico was no exception. Students organized to protest the lack of true democracy in Mexico. The political system had been dominated by one party, the Institutional Revolutionary Party, or PRI, for decades. Every president of Mexico since 1929 had been from the same party, a cycle that did not even change until the year 2000. Every effort students made to raise a voice of protest was met with repression. The Mexican student movement galvanized popular discontent, at least for a brief period of time. The students also gained worldwide attention and exposed vast contradictions in the government and other institutions. The Mexican government was threatened by the burgeoning democratic movement as the world's gaze shifted to the upcoming Olympics in Mexico City. In an effort to silence the dissent, the police and army occupied the university campus. Tension began in July, but the climax came on October 2, 1968, 10 days before the Olympic Games were to begin in Mexico City. On this date, the police and army fired on thousands of demonstrators. Hundreds were killed, thousands were beaten and jailed, and the government did its best to sweep the incident under the rug. The tragic incident of October 1968 took place in virtually the same location as the Spanish massacre of the Aztecs almost 500 years before. On October 3, 1932, the state militia is called in after 164 high school students in Kincaid, Illinois, go on strike when the school board buys coal from the Scab Peabody Coal Company. How about that? Now that's some solidarity. 1933, the Industrial Union of Marine and Shipbuilding Workers of America is founded in Camden, New Jersey. It eventually merged with the International Association of Machinists later in 1988. Ethiopia, one of two, only two, independent African nations at the time, was invaded on October 3, 1935 by fascist Italy under Benito Mussolini. October 3, 1943, the United Packing House Workers of America is formed as a self-governing union, an outgrowth of the CIO's Packing House Workers Organizing Committee. UPWA merged with the Meat Cutters Union in 1968, which in turn merged with the Retail Clerks in 1979, 
forming the United Food and Co Commercial Workers, UFCW. Here's another uh, blast from the past that's quite relevant. October 3, 1961, the UAW, United Auto Workers, calls for a company-wide strike against Ford Motor Company, the first since Ford's initial contract with the union 20 years earlier. In 1967, folk singer-songwriter Woody Guthrie died of Huntington's disease in New York at the age of 55. And, of course, Woody Guthrie, um, one of the great songwriters and singers of the labor movement, famous for songs like Union Made and This Land is Your Land, among many, many others. Finally, on October 3rd in 1970, baseball, baseball umpires strike for recognition of their newly formed Major League Umpires Association, and they win after just one day on strike. October 4, 1945, President Truman ordered the U.S. Navy to seize oil refineries, breaking a 20-state post-war strike. And that's just one of many examples in this month alone of we'll see the federal government intervening in labor disputes typically not on the side of labor, right? And we've seen that in more modern times as recently as the rail, almost, the, the almost strike of the railroaders last year. So October 5th is World Teachers Day, which was inaugurated in 1994 to commemorate the signing of the UNESCO ILO recommendation concerning the status of teachers back in 1966. And as a former educator myself, I certainly want to shout out all the hardworking teachers, counselors, librarians, custodians, cafeteria workers, all the folks in our schools who help our young people. October 5th, 1945, a strike by set decorators turned into a bloody riot at the gates of Warner Brothers Studios in Burbank, California, when scabs tried to cross the picket line. The incident is still identified as Hollywood Black Friday and the Battle of Burbank. October 5, 1976, the UAW ended a three-week strike against Ford Motor Company when the company agreed to a contract that included more vacation days and better retirement and unemployment benefits. On October 5, 1986, the cover-up of the Iran-Contra scandal began to unravel when Eugene Hassenfuss was captured by Nicaraguan troops after the plane in which he was flying was shot down. He had been shipping military supplies into Nicaragua for use by the Contras, an anti-Sandinista force that had been created and supported by the U.S. in violation of congressional action stopping the funding and it was, you know, is run by the CIA, more or less, and uh, responsible for bloody, bloody crimes in that country for years. In 2004, some 2,100 supermarket janitors in California, mostly from Mexico, won a $22.4 million settlement over unpaid overtime. Many said they worked 70 or more hours a week, often seven nights a week, from 10 p.m. to 9 a.m. One of the uh, janitors told the New York Times at the time he had only had three days off in five years. 
On October 6th, Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer was born on this day in 1917 in Montgomery County, Mississippi. October 6, 1972, activists from AIM, the American Indian Movement, and members of the Rosebud Sioux organized three caravans departing from Seattle, San Francisco, and L.A., heading for D.C. A fourth caravan set out from Oklahoma and followed the path of the Trail of Tears. An estimated 700 activists representing more than 200 tribes from 25 states took part in the protest. No government officials were willing to meet with the protesters who had drawn up a 20-point manifesto listing their demands. October 6, 1986, some 1,700 female flight attendants win an 18-year, $37 million lawsuit against United Airlines. They had been fired for getting married. That's 1986, y'all. 1995, 32,000 machinists began what is to be a successful 69-day strike against the Boeing company. The eventual settlement brought improvements that averaged an, eight, an estimated $19,200 in wages and benefits over four years and safeguards against job cutbacks. On October 7th, I'm going to end with a more light-hearted anniversary for October 7th because I'm beginning with a tragic one, and that is the 25th anniversary of Matthew Shepard, a gay student at the University of Wyoming, being bit, beaten, robbed, and left tied to a wooden fence post outside Laramie, Wyoming. He died five days later. His death helped awaken the nation to the persecution of LGBTQ people and their victimization in hate crimes. Hate crimes, which unfortunately continue 25 years later. October 7, 1879, Joe Hill, labor leader and songwriter, was born in Sweden. In 1903, the Structural Building Trades Alliance, SBTA, was founded, becoming the AFL Building Trades Department five years later. And their mission was to provide a forum to work out jurisdictional conflicts. Finally, October 7, 1946, Hollywood's Battle of the Mirrors. Picketing members of the Conference of Studio Unions disrupted an outdoor shoot by holding up large reflectors that filled camera lenses with blinding sunlight. Members of the competing IATSE Union retaliated by using the reflectors to shoot sunlight back across the street. The battle went on all day, and uh, that's just hilarious to think about uh, unions in a turf battle using mirrors and reflecting sunlight at each other uh, to disrupt each other. That's wild. October 9th, known to some as Columbus Day, October 9th is Indigenous Peoples Day, which began as a counter-celebration to Columbus Day in California. The goal is to commemorate Native American history and promote Native American cultures. It was 531 years ago this month when Christopher Columbus, sailing under the Spanish flag, reached the Caribbean, which he had mistaken for Asian countries. Columbus ordered his crew to take the indigenous Taino people as slaves, treating them with great brutality as he and his men did at all their future stops in the so-called New World. Compared to even a decade, a decade ago, when I was in the classroom, there does seem to be much greater awareness of the atrocities committed by Columbus and his men against the native peoples as they sought to take over the New World. 
The brutal European conquest of the Western Hemisphere brought mass death through diseases, starvation, warfare, enslavement, and massacres alongside forced assimilation into Euro-Christian culture. Also on, on October 9th, back in 1967, revolutionary leader Che Guevara was killed by the U.S. military-backed Bolivian forces who were working with the CIA. October 10th, 1933, Six days into a cotton field strike by 18,000 Mexican and Mexican-American workers in Pixley, California, four strikers are killed and six wounded. Eight growers were indicted and charged with murder. October 12, 1898. Company guards kill multiple miners who were attempting to stop scabs from Alabama and Tennessee in Verdon, Illinois. Today is Coal Miners Day or it used to be. October 12th marks the day a small band of striking coal miners in southern Illinois called out Chicago coal barons and stood their ground at Verdun in 1898. By the end of the day, seven miners lay dead, but the strike-breaking barons had been stopped. For most historians, the defiance of Union coal miners at the Verdun massacre marked the turning point in the labor movement impacting the lives of untold thousands of laborers over the next century. A little bit later, in 1925, protesting rising rents and unsanitary conditions, tenants in Panama City, Panama, organized in the, into the Tenants and Subsistence League, and they were met with swift force and violence by U.S. soldiers, with six killed during that weekend. October 12, 1933, some 2,000 workers demanding union recognition closed down dress manufacturing in Los Angeles. And in 1976, more than 1 million Canadian workers demonstrated against wage controls. On October 13, 1934, the American Federation of Labor officially vo voted to boycott all German-made products as a protest against na Nazi antagonism to organized labor within Germany. 1985, more than 1,100 office workers strike Columbia University in New York City. The mostly female and minority workers won union recognition and pay increases. Finally, on October 13, in 1998, the National Basketball Association canceled regular season games for the first time in its 51-year history during a player lockout. Player salaries and pay caps were the primary issue. The lockout ended up lasting uh, 204 days. October 14, 1883, the International Working People's Association was founded in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. October 15, in 1883, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the Civil Rights Act of 1875, forbidding discrimination in hotels, trains, and other public spaces, was unconstitutional and not authorized by the 13th or 14th Amendments of the Constitution. The decision outraged the black community and many whites as well, for they felt it opened the door to legalize segregation. Frederick Douglass spoke at length about his dissatisfaction with these decisions at a civil rights mass meeting held at Lincoln Hall in Washington, D.C. on October 22, 1883. He detailed the painful history of slavery and oppression and declared that the greatest threat to liberty were those in government 
who supported taking away the human rights of the formerly enslaved. African Americans would have to wait until 1964 before Congress would again pass a civil rights law, this time constitutionally acceptable, that would forbid discrimination in public accommodations, employment, and unions. Also in this day, in the late 19th century, there was a Swedish chemist, and I won't even try to pronounce his name, but he calculated that burning fossil fuels will over time lead to a hotter earth. Using the principles of physical chemistry, he estimated that increases in atmospheric carbon dioxide were responsible for the Earth's increasing surface temperature, a phenomenon now known as the greenhouse effect. He published an article about this October 15, 1902. Known about it for a while, folks. Back in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson signed the Clayton Antitrust Act, often referred to as Labor's Magna Carta. It established that unions are not, quote, conspiracies under the law. It, for the first time, freed unions to strike, picket, and boycott employers. In the years that followed, however, numerous state measures and negative court interpretations weakened the law. Finally, October 15, 1966, the Black Panther Party was founded, and it sought justice for African Americans and other oppressed communities through a combination of revolutionary theory education, and community programs. On October 16, 1793, Queen Marie Antoinette, wife of Louis XVI, was beheaded during the French Revolution. Also on this day in 1859, John Brown led a small group on a raid against the Federal Armory in Harper's Ferry in an attempt to start an armed revolt against the institution of slavery. On October 17th, it is the International Day for the Eradication of Poverty, promoting the need to eradicate poverty worldwide, especially in the global south where extreme poverty remains widespread. October 17, 1932 was the founding of the American Federation of Government Employees, and we really appreciate AFGE for all they do. On October 17, 1950, the local chapter of the International Union of Mine, Mill, and Smelter Workers went on strike. And I'm going to quote here from the Global Nonviolent Action Database about this particular strike. They were demanding an end to discriminatory working conditions and the dual-wage system of two-tiered pay, different for Mexican and Mexican-American workers as compared to white workers. The workers picketed the company gates for eight months until June 1951, when the Grant County District issued a court injunction against the picketing under the threat of jail time. In response, as the miners left the picket lines and their wives took their place, also expanding demands to include better living conditions in the town and the addition of an indoor plumbing system. While the men picketed, the men often took on the household duties. Local police arrested and harassed the women protesters, sometimes jailing children who were out on the lines as well. Instances of violence also occurred. On one occasion, strike breakers injured three women while attempting to push through the picket line. After eight months of the strike, the Empire Zinc Company obtained an injunction that prevented the strikers from continuing their picket line. 
as I said, the, the miners' wives and children really stepped up to maintain the picket line uh, while the men were not allowed to do it. Um, and they were able to hold up the picketing for seven additional months, despite those arrests, despite the violence, despite the resistance, sometimes from their own husbands who were now, you know, in charge of domestic duties. In January of 1952, after 15 months of striking, a new contract was signed to improve the wages and conditions for the Mexican and Mexican-American workers. In 1954, Salt of the Earth, a film based on the Empire Zinc strike, was released. And uh, interestingly enough for that, the director was one of the Hollywood Ten who was targeted for his alleged associations to the Communist Party. So Salt of the Earth is one of the most famous labor movies, um, and this is the strike that inspired that film. Later on October 17th, back... Back in 1969, 14 black student athletes at the University of Wyoming approached their football coach with a difficult subject. They wanted to meet and discuss the possibility of nonviolent protests, like wearing black armbands during an upcoming game against BYU, Brigham Young University, which of course is a Mormon university. They wanted to express their coats, their thoughts on the stated racist policies and beliefs of the Mormon church at the time. Their coach, Lloyd Eaton, fired them on the spot. October 18, 1648, the Shoemakers of Boston, the first labor organization in what would later become the United States, was authorized by the Massachusetts Bay Colony. On October 18, 1898, U.S. troops raised the U.S. flag over Puerto Rico, formalizing U.S. authority over the island's one million inhabitants during the Spanish-American War. 1911, New York City agreed to pay women school teachers at a rate equal to that of men. October 18, 1927, IWW Colorado mine strike. For the first time, all the coal fields in Colorado were out. 1939, some 58,000 Chrysler Company workers went on strike for wage increases. And in 1983, GM agreed to hire more women and minorities for five years as part of a settlement with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. On October 19, 1870, the first African Americans were elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. Black Republicans won three of the four congressional seats in South Carolina, Joseph H. Rainey, Robert C. DeLarge, and Robert B. Elliott. Hiram Revels had been elected in 1869 and seated in 1870 to the U.S. Senate. October 19, 1949, the National Association of Letter Carriers achieved equalization of wages for all letter carriers, meaning city delivery carriers began receiving the same wages regardless of the size of the community in which they worked. And in 1980, the J.P. Stevens Textile Company is forced to sign its first union contract after a 17-year struggle in North Carolina and other southern states. On October 20, 1926, Eugene V. Debs, U.S. labor leader and socialist, died in Illinois. Among some of his radical ideas were the eight-hour workday, retirement pensions, workman's compensation, sick leave, and Social Security. Of course, he ran for president multiple times, including from jail in 1920. 
October 20th, 1947, Hollywood came under the scrutiny of the House Un-American Activities Committee, HUAC, which opened hearings into alleged communist influence within the motion picture industry. Dozens of union members were among those blacklisted as a result of HUAC's activities. October 20th, 1980, presidential candidate Ronald Reagan wrote to the president of PATCO, the Air Traffic Controllers Union, President Robert Poley. He wrote to him with this promise. If the union endorses Reagan, quote, I will take whatever steps are necessary to provide our air traffic controllers with the most modern equipment available and to adjust staff levels and work days so that they are commensurate with achieving a maximum degree of public safety. He got the endorsement. Nine months after the election, he fired the air traffic controllers for engaging in an illegal walkout over staffing levels and working conditions. Finally, on October 20th, 2013, two track workers were killed in a San Francisco Bay Area rapid transit train accident. Federal investigators said the train was run by a BART employee who was being trained as an operator as members of the ATU were participating in what was to be a four-day strike. October 21, 1933, Wisconsin dairy farmers began their third strike of the year in an attempt to raise the price of milk paid to producers during the Great Depression. Several creameries were bombed before the strike ended a month later. Of course, eventually the economy improved, allowing the farmers to make more money. On October 22, 1963, a coalition of civil rights groups staged Freedom Day, a mass boycott and demonstration against segregated schools and inadequate resources for African-American students in Chicago. On October 22, 51 years ago, a founding convention of 24 women founded the independent union called the Service, Office, and Retail Workers Union of Canada. Its goal was to represent and organize occupations that were excluded from the traditional trade unions of the time. Most of the workers they organized were women, and their legal battles centered around struggles for equal pay, mater maternity leave, living wages, legislation against sexual harassment, and gender and race-based discrimination in the workplace. Shout out to all of our Canadian listeners, by the way. We see you and appreciate you. October 23rd, 121 years ago today, was the end of the great anthracite coal strike. The, work, the strike was a work stoppage by 147,000 Pennsylvania coal miners over wages and working conditions, as well as union recognition. President Theodore Roosevelt appointed mediators to arbitrate the negotiations between the coal operators and miners because the strike threatened to shut down the winter fuel supply to all major cities. It was the first time that the federal government had intervened as a supposedly neutral arbitrator in a labor dispute. The miners achieved a 10% pay increase and a reduction in workday hours, but failed to get union recognition. October 24, 1940, the 40-hour work week goes into effect under the Fair Labor Standards Act, signed by President Roosevelt two years earlier. On October 24, 2018, in the Louisville suburb of Jefferson, Towns, Jefferson Town, Kentucky, 
a white man shot and killed two African Americans at a Kroger grocery store. He had first tried to enter a black church, however, the doors were locked. The two people killed were Maurice Stollard and Vicki Lee, Vicki Lee Jones. October 25th, following the Civil War, as freedmen gained the right to vote, white Democrats of the St. Bernard Parish in Louisiana and throughout the South were afraid of losing their majority and thus their power to thwart Reconstruction efforts. In late October of 1868, armed groups of white men mobilized to suppress the recently emancipated voters in the hopes of regaining their way of life turned upside down by the Civil War and Reconstruction. It was just days before the presidential election between U.S. Grant and Horatio Seymour, which would decide the fate of Reconstruction in the South. On October 25, 1868, the first blood was spilled in the St. Bernard Parish Massacre. The reported numbers of those killed varies from 35 to over 100. Many who escaped death did so by fleeing to the cane fields where they hid for days. Over 60 freed people were arrested after the atrocities, while not a single perpetrator was questioned. While the gruesome nature of the tragedy was swept under the rug, the implications reverberated throughout the South for generations. On October 25, 1934, some 25,000 silk dye workers went on strike in Patterson, New Jersey. And then in 1949, in what became known as the Great Hawaiian Dock Strike, a six-month struggle to win wage parity with mainland dock workers ended in victory. On October 25, 1958, A. Philip Randolph, Jackie Robinson, Coretta Scott King, Harry, Be Harry Belafonte, Bayard Rustin, and more led a youth march for integrated schools in Washington, D.C. with over 10,000 participants. March organizers also included Daisy Bates and NAACP's Roy Wilkins. Belafonte led a delegation of the students to the White House to meet with President Eisenhower, but they were turned away. October 27, 1935, three strikes on work relief projects in Maryland were underway, with charges that Depression-era Works Project administration jobs were paying only about 28 cents an hour, far less than was possible on direct relief. Civic officials in Cumberland, where authorities had established a 50 cent per hour minimum wage, supported the strikers. How about that? Wouldn't it be nice to get support from civic officials? In 1951, the National Labor Council was formed in C Cincinnati to unite black workers in the struggle for full economic, political, and social equality. The group was to function for five years before disbanding but forced many AFL and CIO unions to adopt non-discrimination policies. On October 27, 1994, the U.S. Justice Department announced that the prison population topped 1 million for the first time in U.S. history. The figure, 1.25 million people in state and federal prisons, did not even include local prisons and jails, where an estimated 547,000 prisoners were held usually for short periods. Mass incarceration in the U.S. has more than doubled since then. According to the ACLU, despite making up close to 5% of the global population, the U.S. has more than 20% of the world's prison population. 
Since 1970, our, our incarcerated population has increased by 500%. Two million people in jail and prison today, far outpacing population growth and crime rates. On October 27, 2018, a white man entered the Tree of Life synagogue with an AR-15 rifle and killed 11 worshipers. October 28, 1879, Union organizer and anarchist Luisa Capitello is born in Puerto Rico. She organized tobacco and other agricultural workers in Puerto Rico and later in New York and Florida. In 1916, she led a successful sugarcane strike of more than 40,000 workers on the island. She demanded that her union endorse voting rights for women. In 1919, three years before her death, she was arrested for wearing pants in public, the first woman in Puerto Rico to do so. The charges were dropped. October 29, 1889, Japanese immigrant and labor advocate Katsu Goto is strangled to death, his body then strung from an electric pole on the big island of Hawaii by thugs hired by plantation owners. They were outraged over his work on behalf of agricultural workers and because he opened a general store that competed with the owner's company store. October 29, 1929 was, of course, Black Tuesday, the date of the Wall Street crash, which threw the world's economy into a years-long crisis called the Great Depression. And on October 29, 1969, we had the Alexander v. Holmes County Board of Education Supreme Court ruling, which said that U.S. schools had to desegregate immediately, instead of the previous ruling back in 1954 that said, with all deliberate speed. October 30, 1959, 27-year-old Korean War veteran Luther Jackson was murdered by Philadelphia, Mississippi, policeman Lawrence Rainey. Rainey pulled Jackson from his parked car where he was talking with a woman. Within minutes, Rainey shot and killed Jackson. Not only was Rainey not prosecuted, he went on to become the Neshoba County Sheriff, where he was accused of playing a role in the cover-up of the 1964 murders of civil rights workers James Cheney, Andy Goodman, and Mickey Schwerner. Jackson's was one of many racially motivated murders investigated by Medgar Evers as field secretary for the Mississippi NAACP. On October 30, 1956, in Hernandez v. Driscoll CISD, the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Texas found a South Texas school district guilty of discriminating against Mexican-American students. This was one of the first cases that directly applied the ruling made in Brown v. Board to Mexican-American students. And this next one was so wild, I just had to include it. October 30, 1986. Ed Meese, the Attorney General in the Ronald Reagan administration, urged employers to begin spying on their workers in, quote, locker rooms, parking lots, shipping and mailroom areas, and even the nearby taverns. And the point was to try to catch them using drugs. 
Finally, October 31st, 1829, George Henry Evans publishes the first issue of The Working Man's Advocate in New York City. And October 31st, 1891, Tennessee sends in leased convict laborers to break a coal miner strike in Anderson County. During the Coal Creek War, labor uprising, to protest this convict leasing, a group of miners seized the Knoxville Iron Company stockade at Coal Creek in Tennessee. Now, the convict lease system was a private-public partnership in which prisoners were leased to private companies for their labor. The convict lease system was used to undermine union organizing and perpetuate a form of slavery by imprisoning African Americans on false, char false charges and forcing them to provide free labor. Of the 120 men brought into work in the mines for the Tennessee Iron Company at Coal Creek, only five were identified as white. Over the course of the convict wars, striking miners freed hundreds of convicts. In some cases, the miners even provided them with fresh food and civilian clothes. Love to end it on this note of interracial solidarity in the South. And of course, I hope everyone has a safe and happy Halloween on October 31st. I want to wrap up by mentioning a couple of events that Labor Notes has coming up, uh, as well as some plugs for us. So I want to mention the Secrets of a Successful Organizer series is restarting on October 11th. It will continue on the 18th and 21st. Definitely encourage you to check that out if you want to learn more about organizing. There's a workshop on October 23rd called Fight the Boss, Fix the Climate. And that should be really interesting. On November 7th is What to Do When Your Union Breaks Your Heart. And, of course, the Labor Notes Conference itself is coming up April 2024. So, last things to mention, uh, I was on America's Workforce, I guess it was two weeks ago now. Uh, Jacob was on Left Reckoning uh, about a week ago. And uh, I will be on America's Workforce next week. And I was on Huntsville Progressive this week. So uh, Jacob and I are making the rounds on other shows. And that's all I have for y'all today for Shop Talk. Really appreciate everyone listening. If you enjoyed it, definitely share. Make sure you're plugged into our work. Just a reminder that the Valley Labor Report is a working class media collective dedicated to lifting up labor struggles throughout Alabama and across the South. We bring you Alabama's only union talk radio show every Saturday morning with the first half from 9.30 to 11 a.m. live on FM radio through WVNN here in the Huntsville listening area. The entire program is online via Facebook, YouTube, and podcast. So, y'all, I really appreciate y'all tuning in. Uh, Really got some great episodes of Shop Talk coming up later this month. Uh, next week, we're talking co-ops. I got a great guest lined up. So uh, definitely stay tuned. Tune in Saturday. Uh, I'm sure you will enjoy the show. If you really are interested in commentary and news and analysis about working people here in the South. So if you share our mission to grow the Southern labor movement, if you share our belief in the power of solidarity in collective organization, if you want media that is for working people, by working people, please consider becoming a recurring donor 
at tblr.fm/donate. All power to the workers. Solidarity, y'all.